Well, good evening. It's good to see those who are here tonight. Glad to have you with us online. If you're there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, be sure to heart to like, to share, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, make some comments there on all of those platforms. Uh, again, we can't stress that enough. That just helps to get uh, things out there even more. Uh, other than, even more than just saying, hi, I'm here, welcome everybody. Uh, say a little bit more than that. Let us know how you're doing. Uh, if you've got any prayer requests, you can put those in there too, even though this is not Wednesday night. Uh, that'll help us to get those before Wednesday night to get those on the prayer list. Uh, encourage you if you have uh, the access, well, welcome to our phone live streaming also. Forgot to welcome you guys uh, also. Uh, if you have access to our church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin there. Uh, you can download the children's worship bulletins as well as the prayer list. You can get all those things there as well as our, our monthly newsletter is under that tab also. Uh, there's lots of things that are there on the website that you can make use of. Uh, so I encourage you to take the time to download those things, share those links with others, uh, also especially those children's worship bulletins. And then if you'll go to the far right-hand side and click the Give Online tab, you can do your online giving, set it up as a recurring gift, a one-time gift. You can even designate to the special offerings uh, that we have listed on there. So just again, welcome tonight. Looking forward to the service tonight as we go back to the book of Genesis. Brother Mike, if you'll come. Man, you sure do talk fast. I didn't know anybody who spends much time in East Tennessee can talk that fast. <laughs> Turn your hymnals and let's sing hymn 300, oh, 571. Let others see Jesus in you. And you could stand if you would, it'd be nice. through this world of sin and others your life shall view be clean and pure without within let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in a book before their eyes they're reading it through and through say does it point them to the sky do others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you will be at 
that set of sun in mansions beyond the Find some souls that you have won. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Faithful and true, let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true, and lead the lost to life and light let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you keep telling the story be faithful Is there anybody has a dollar bill, a one dollar bill? Just one. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I need to ask for a bigger bill though the next time. <laughs> so if we do that more often, uh, yeah. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to verse 9 is going to be our main focus. But we are going to go back into that genealogy that we went over last time in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 through verse 10. We're going through this series on Sunday night of understanding Genesis and have entitled this message tonight, The Failure of Babylon. The Failure of Babylon. And so... Uh, when you look at, we'll come to the verses here in just a moment, uh, and I'll have you stand when we read those, but just wanted to give you some introduction here first, so that's why I asked for the dollar bill. If you look on the back of a dollar bill, if you've got one uh, with you tonight, on the reverse of every United States $1 bill, there's what is called the Great Seal uh, of the United States uh, over here. Uh, it was adopted by Congress in, 18, in, in 1782. Uh, both faces of the seal are printed on this currency. So uh, this part and this part are the seal there. Um, on one it shows over here the eagle uh, with an olive branch, a piece uh, in one claw, 13 arrows of war in the other. On the other side, the second face of the seal depicts an unfinished pyramid above which is set an eye that is set in a blaze of glory there. At the base of that pyramid are inspired the Roman numerals MDCCLXXVI. 
What is that? 1776. Overarching the pyramid there are Latin words, and those Latin words say anuit coeptus. Loosely translated, that is, as he looks favorably on our endeavor. Below the pyramid is the Latin phrase, novus ordo secularum, aligned by the poet Virgil, uh, a new order of the ages, or as sometimes we hear and refer to the new world order. Let me give you your dollar bill back. <laughs> they don't do this often at church. <laughs> give your money back. <laughs> Thank you. For the 20th century and the 21st centuries have had an increasingly uh, more and more have called for a new world order. Let me just give you just a few. There are tons of resources of comments and, and uh, illustrations that are out there from all kinds of spectrums throughout our country as well as around the world. At the end of the Gulf War, President George Bush, so it happens on either side, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Uh, at the end of the Gulf War, President George Bush, speaking before a joint session of Congress, said this. He said, the crisis in the Persian Gulf, as grave as it is, also offers a rare opportunity to move toward an historic period of cooperation. Out of these troubled times, a new world order can emerge. In an address to the International Platform Association at the Sheridan Park Hotel on July the 26th, 1968, Governor Nor Nelson Rockefeller called for the creation of a new world order. Adolf Hitler said National Socialism will use its own revolution for the establishing of a new world order. Jimmy Carter, when he was running for the presidency, and we do offer our prayers for him in, in the passing of his wife, uh, said, we must replace the balance of power politics with world order politics. The Humanist Manifesto II in 1973 said this, we have reached a turning point in human history where the best option is to transcend the limits of national sovereignty and to move toward the building of a world community, uh, a system of world law and world order based upon trans, transnational federal government. In other words, a new world order. Benjamin Kremig, who was a New Age leader in 1982, said, What is the plan? It includes the installation of a new world government and a new world religion. And even if you look at recent things, to find out recent comments, if you do a search on New World Order, uh, recent quotes, Joe Biden, uh, remarks by President Joe Biden before the Business Roundtable CEO quarterly meeting on March the 21st, 2022, said, I think this, he said, and he said a lot of things here, but uh, listen to the, the main part of what he says. He says, I think, you know, my mother had an expression, out of everything terrible, something good will come if you look hard enough for it. 
He said, I think this presents us with some significant opportunities to make some real changes. You know, we are at an inflection point, I believe, in the world economy, not just the world economy, in the world. It occurs every three or four generations. As one of, as one of, as one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day, 60, 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946, and since then, we've established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. He said a lot of people dying, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it, and we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. Wow. None of those comments really should surprise us because all the way back in our earthly history of man, right after the flood, there was a, 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 a cry for a new world order. The Bible name for it is Babylon. Babylon is one of the two prominent cities listed in the Bible, the other being Jerusalem. Those are the two most prominent city names given to us repeated over and over throughout the Bible. Now, Babylon is the city, many times described, the city of Satan. Jerusalem is the city of God. Babylon is the seat of wickedness. Jerusalem is the seat of holiness. Babylon is the key, is the capital of hell. Jerusalem is the capital of heaven. Babylon in the Bible represents man's attempt to rid the world of God. In fact, let me give you a new name for an old city. Babylon today is what we would call humanism. Webster's Dictionary defines humanism uh, as this, a modern non-theistic rationalist movement that holds that man is capable of self-fulfillment, ethical conduct without recourse to supernaturalism. In other words, we don't need God. Babylon represents man's attempt to rid the world of God through a one-world government and a one-world religion. You'll see this all throughout the prophecies. Uh, and that was the entire motivation behind the building of the Tower of Babel, which is where Babylon comes from. So keep in mind that history in the Old Testament is often a prophecy in the New Testament. Uh, the past is a mirror of the future. So in Genesis, we see the history of Babylon in the past. When you get all the way over to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see the mystery of Babylon in the future. But thank God both the old Babylon and the new Babylon suffer the same fate. And that's what we want to see tonight in this passage in Genesis chapter 11. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 10 to understand from that genealogy that's given there, how did this city come to be to start with? So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, down through verse 10. So remember, he's going through in these genealogies uh, of Noah's sons, of, of Shem, Ham, <clears throat> and Japheth. And so we come uh, to verse 8 that says, Cush, who is one of the sons of Ham, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth 
to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you tonight as we come to study this word about Babel, about Babylon in general, and the failure of Babylon. Lord, I pray that you would also help us to see uh, from this that as they seek to build this tower, that the higher you climb, the farther the fall is. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we would learn that and learn some truths that we can apply to our lives, some things that we need to make sure that we don't even go close to, that we don't even allow into our hearts, that we confess those things, repent of those things, turn away from them before we even get close to the edge. But Father, I pray that you would raise up godly leaders across our nation to, to hold those positions of, of leadership, whether it's in the House, the Senate, in our, in our local governments, in our state government, in the federal government, wherever it may be, Lord, we pray for you to raise up godly young men and women who will take those positions, Lord, and who will lead in a way that is honoring to you, Lord, to bring us back from the threshold of failure. So, Father, I pray that you will speak truth into our hearts tonight. May you have your will and your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So here we see in these first verses that we've read in chapter 10, verse 8 through verse 10, we see the founder of Babylon. He's a man named Nimrod. He's a founder of this city-state, if you will, called Babel, which ultimately is, is Babylon. He's a picture of the coming Antichrist who is also going to resurrect Babylon and establish a one world government in the end times that you read about in the book of Revelation. Both Nimrod and the Antichrist share similar, in fact, same characteristics. And I want to go through some of those characteristics because these are characteristics of the Antichrist, characteristics that, that if we profess to be Christians, we want to make sure we don't emulate these in our lives at all. And if we do have any of these in our hearts, we need to repent and get back right with the Lord. So we come to the first, which is pride. Pride. So we see that in verse 8 here, that, that Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Now the name Nimrod literally means, let us rebel or rebel. Uh, Nimrod was a rebel against God. Uh, Nimrod was the forerunner of atheism, uh, which literally means no God. He was anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-religion. Uh, he didn't just believe in the separation of church from state. He would have believed in the separation of God from everything. That was his characteristic of his name. He was uh, the first on earth to be a mighty man, and even in the characteristic of his name there, meaning let us rebel. Many times you'll see uh, that individuals are, uh, carry a name that shows a lot of their character throughout their life, and it's no different here with Nimrod. We also see another characteristic of the Antichrist in Nimrod's life, and a characteristic we want to make sure that we're careful about, and that is power. You see that in verse 9. Three times we're told in these verses that Nimrod was mighty. Now, the word mighty literally means a tyrant. It doesn't mean what we might think of it as, as a superhero, as a, as a force for good. He's a mighty man uh, who, who's out there to defeat the forces uh, of evil. Uh, it means literally a tyrant. 
So Nimrod wanted to be the first uh, tyrant, the first world dictator. He was the forerunner uh, of men like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. In verse 9 we're told that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now that word uh, translated before is probably better translated against. He was a hunter against the Lord. And we're going to see that as we continue on uh, looking at his life. In other words, he didn't hunt ducks and deers. That's not what it's talking about here when he's a hunter before the Lord uh, or, or a hunter against the Lord. Uh, he was after the souls of men. He was using his power to enslave the hearts and minds uh, of the people. Uh, we're also told that the Antichrist will be a rebel who will use his power to deceive and to enslave the hearts and minds uh, of people everywhere also. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Uh, because we're going to see as you go through through the New Testament about the Antichrist, he's seeking to deceive even the very elect. Who is that? The church. Seeking to deceive even the church. And he does that with power. He does that with false signs, with false wonders. And, you know, it's so interesting that history begins with the sin of man and ends with the man of sin. And so in Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel. In Revelation, we see the tragedy of Babylon, of Babel. Uh, and so as you continue on and, and looking at Nimrod and the foundation that we're seeing here uh, that goes forth for, for Babel, for, for Babylon ultimately, uh, we're seeing here uh, this, this foundation being laid here of pride, of power, and also of presumption. In verse 10, notice what we're told. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then it lists those other cities in the land of Shinar. Now this is the first time that the word kingdom is mentioned in all of the Bible. And it's not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of Nimrod. It's the kingdom of man. Who had told Nimrod that he was to establish a kingdom? Nobody. Nobody had told Nimrod he was to become a king. Nobody had told Nimrod he was to establish a kingdom because God was meant to be the only king and this world, his world, was meant to be his kingdom. Revelation tells us one day in Revelation 11 verse 15 that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. But there's coming upon the scene the Antichrist who will once again attempt to make this entire world into a one world order. He will try to make this entire world his domain and his kingdom. And we see it beginning here with Nimrod after the flood. Now, if you'll remember, the flood had happened. Why? Because people had sinned so much that it disgusted God that he said, I'm willing to just start all over with this man and his family. And he does. He starts again with Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Everybody else has been wiped off the face of the earth. But sin is still in the heart. And sin still continues on. 
And as the generations continue that we read about there in chapter 10, we see that sin continues to multiply to the time here when Nimrod becomes this mighty hunter against the Lord, a man who is filled with pride, a man who is filled with power, who thinks it's his kingdom, uh, and he has that presumption there to think it's his kingdom. Uh, he has that, that power uh, that he's coming with that, that's polluted his mind there uh, to think that he's the one who's in control. And that's what we see will happen with the Antichrist. That's what we see with the spirit of Antichrist that goes on even in our own day. So we see that first and foremost there uh, in those verses, the founder of Babylon. So that's why we wanted to go back to that because we're going to get more into Babylon as we come to chapter 11 and look at the city of Babel and the tower of Babel. So go to Genesis chapter 11 verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 4, and you'll see the foundation of Babylon. Now, the catchword of Babylon is unity. I mean, that's what they were all about. Their motto was all for one, one for all. This was the first, if you will, United Nations. Uh, all kinds of people who were gathered together under one banner, all for one, one for all. So notice the, 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 the foundation here of Babylon in verse 1 and verse 2 and then in verse 4. So verse 1 begins in chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then go on down to verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So notice some things here about them, how they were united together. They were united culturally. You see that in verse 1. At that time, the whole earth spoke only one language. It would be like everybody on the face of the earth only speaks English, or everybody on the face of the earth only speaks Chinese, or everybody on the face of the earth only speaks Aramaic, or, or whatever the language might be. They all spoke one language. There's not a more powerful force in all of the world than the ability to communicate in one language. Uh, you know the barriers that are set up be between us and other nations and other cultures uh, that we can't talk to them. We, we, we don't understand their language, they don't understand our language, and we have struggles there in trying to communicate with one another. And all of that comes from this occasion here. But just imagine if everybody spoke the same language today. We'd all know what everybody's saying. You know, we'd know that they're talking behind my, they're talking about me over there. You know, sometimes you hear that, you'll see that, uh, where, where they're talking in their own language, and you can just see the, the body language that they're talking about you. Well, there's not a more powerful force than the ability to communicate in one language, but this unity went beyond mere language. It, it also involved thought. Not only was the world at that time united in how they spoke, they were united in what they thought. Now, the Hebrew word there, safa, is translated speech, literally means creed or confession. 
So when it says the whole earth had one language and the same words, they had the same speech, they had the same creed, they had the same confession. It wasn't just that all these nations were speaking the same language. They were also thinking the same thing. They were of the same mind. They shared the same philosophy. They had the same worldview, and they wouldn't tolerate anything else. They were united culturally. They were also united politically. We see that in verse 2 and in verse 4. So the people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. You go to verse 4, and it, they're talking about building a city and building a tower lest they be dispersed. Well, those verses tell us that they dwelt in a central location. They built a centralized city. One of the goals of, of humanism is a strong, centralized, big government. Because the more power is centralized and concentrated in government, the more they can collect from taxes, the more rules and regulations they can pass, the less freedom we have to exercise, the less money we have to spend. Remember this, bigger government, the less the freedom. Here in America in 1920, think about this, in 1920, one out of 100 people or 1% of the population worked for the government. But now almost one out of six people, or almost 20%, work for the government, whether that's on the federal, the state, the local level. But that's always the goal of socialism and humanism, is to centralize power in the government so that the government can tell you what to do, where to go, how much money you can make, and how much you can keep for yourself. So they were united politically. They were also united spiritually. Notice verse 4. Not only do they build this city, but they said, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. They weren't, they weren't really trying to build a tower that would, that would reach all the way into the, the, the stratosphere, if you will. Uh, in, into that part of the heavens. The, the literal is literally translated, it says they built a top unto or with the heavens. That little proposition with is a preposition uh, of accompaniment uh, or representation. In other words, they built a tower so that the top of it would represent the heavens. And so by the heavens, what the ancient people understood was the stars. And so excavations, when you go back and look at excavations of the land of Shinar, you'll discover there temple towers called ziggurats. They're cone-shaped structures built with a spiral uh, round which went round them, a spiral road that went round them uh, for journeying up and down. In these particular towers, they discovered up in the ceiling signs of the zodiac. It was the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who first developed the, the zodiac by dividing the sky into sections, giving meanings uh, to each section on the basis of the stars uh, that were found in that section, and thereby determining a person's destiny by whatever section or sign they were born under. Astrology had become their god, and astronomy had become their god. They were a society of stargazers. The word astrology comes from the word astro, which means star, and the word logos, which means word. And it literally means the word 
of the stars. So these people were worshiping the stars rather than worshiping the bright and morning star, the one who created the stars to begin with. Today we build our cities of, of science and our towers of technology. We worship in our, at the shrine of our computers and pray before the altars of our, of our knowledge. We have a United Nations. We have a World Council of Churches. We, we practice political correctness in the name of unity with the aim of eliminating any reference to God. And so we see here the, the foundation of Babylon and how they were unified together. But I want you to see the failure of all of that strategy, the strategy that begins here with Babylon and Babel, the strategy that the Antichrist continues and that we see in our world today. See the failure of Babylon in verse 3 and in verse 4. So verse 3 says, They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So it seemed as if the culture and the day in which they are living at this point, as we picked up there in the genealogy there, it seems as if everything's going beautifully. Uh, the flood has happened. Uh, the, they're populating the earth. Uh, it seems like things are going great. In fact, it was going too beautifully. But the Tower of Babel became the Tower of Blunders. As someone well said, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. We could have guessed that this plan would never have succeeded because a bad beginning usually leads to a bad ending and we're given a clue to the cause of their downfall in verse 2. We're told that they journeyed from the east. Where else do you see that reference in the Bible? That they journeyed from the east. You see the wise men, the magi, who came from the east. The Hebrew word for journeyed is the word nasa, which literally means to pull out. It means to abandon. So in the Bible, when someone is coming from the east, it is picturing rebellion against the will and the purposes of God. So the sun rises in the east, right? So if you're journeying from the east, what are you walking towards? The sun is behind you. What are you walking towards? The darkness. So that's the picture and the imagery that we see here. If you're journeying from the east, you're walking away from the light into the darkness. So if a person is going to walk into the darkness, eventually you're going to fall. Uh, these people decided we're going to leave the light. We're going to leave the light of God's truth for the darkness of man's ideas and theories. So why did Babylon fail? And why is it that nations fall throughout the generations? One is it was built on shallowness. It was built on shallowness. Look again at verse 3. So they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So they build their cities, they build their towers. 
out of mundane materials. When God builds something, he builds it with God-given stone. But here they were building with man-made brick. Brick is nothing more than, than hardened clay. Clay is a material from which uh, we're made. Think about that. We're made from the clay. Clay is the material from which we're made. So they were trying to build from earth to heaven, but God always builds from heaven to earth. So any monument made by man with man-made materials eventually will fall. Only what God builds will last forever. So it was built with a shallowness. We see that in, 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 even in the church uh, at times and, and even in Christians' lives, a shallowness there. Notice it was also built on sinfulness. Go back to verse 4. So verse 4 said, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And so that word Babel originally means the gate of God. They wanted to substitute government for God. They wanted to substitute their religion for God's redemption. They wanted to substitute education for revelation. They were not only building a political city, they were building a philosophical system that, in, that excluded the very idea of God. So it was built on sinfulness. But it was also built on selfishness. Notice also in verse 4. Look with me, if you will. Verse 4, let's read it one more time. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In one single verse, we've talked about this before when you're studying Scripture, anytime you see something repeated over and over, take note of it. It's important for us to understand. In this one single verse, six different times, we read the words, us, we, ourselves. Now think about that. The number six in the Bible is the number of man, incompleteness. It was we, us, ourselves, I, me, my. They wanted to exclude the Creator and exalt the creature. They wanted to dethrone God and deify man. You see, the humanist simply says two things about God. They say, first of all, we don't need God. You hear that message today, we don't need God. And they say, secondly, we won't have God. Even if we needed Him, we won't have Him. And so they don't want to sing Amazing Grace, they want to sing I Did It My Way. This was nothing more than, than a humanistic power play to bury God once and for all. If we build this tower to the heavens, it'll show we're greater than He is. It'll show who really has the power. This was nothing more than that power play to bury God once and for all. It was the world's first declaration of independence from God. We don't need you, God. We don't want you, God. They wanted to replace God with man and make man God. In fact, uh, the Bible describes what these people had built as a proud, eternal monument to themselves. Amazing. The amazing thing is... We continuously think that our only solution to our problem is self. When indeed self is our biggest problem. So notice the fall of Babylon that happens in verse 5 down through verse 9. 
And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. It was only the tip of the iceberg. It was only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So first here, this passage is a perfect illustration of the Old Testament and ancient truth that man's purposes... Man, man proposes, rather, but God disposes. Or as Solomon put it in Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We read the phrase, let us, four times in this passage. Three times man says, let us, but what counts is when God says, let us. So God not only sees what they're doing, but he also knows why they're doing it. It wasn't their ambition that bothered God, because ambition can be a good thing. It was their arrogance that they didn't need God, they didn't want God. In fact, they were trying to do away with God that broke the heart of God. So God causes two simple things that break up the party. The first we see there in verse 5 through verse 7 is the verbal confusion. The verbal confusion. All of a sudden, here are these workmen who wake up one morning and they can't communicate with one another. They couldn't understand each other. I mean, they had been talking to this guy over here and this woman over here and they could talk with one another and they could communicate and now nothing's coming out in their, the, the right way and they're not understanding what the others are saying. And so there's a pocket over here that, that speaks one language, there's another pocket over here that speaks another and still another pocket over here. And, and the communication, when it broke down, the construction broke down. We now know today that there are over 6,700 different languages and dialects in the world. It was God who gave the name to this unfinished city, Babel. Because the word Babel comes from the Hebrew word Balal, which means to mix or confuse. In the Aramaic, it becomes Balbel, which literally means confusion. And so you can mark this down that anything you try to do without God will ultimately end up in confusion. If a church tries to do things without God, it will ultimately end up in confusion. And so God sometimes uses confusion to humble people to keep them from uniting against His will. Now the word Shem, you remember Shem? His name means name in the Hebrew. And, and Abraham, a descendant of Shem, was promised that God would make his name great. Genesis 12, verse 2. The book of Genesis emphasizes names. And in this book, God changes several names. Now, why is this important? Because they thought if we build this city to the heavens, we'll make a name for ourselves. But God changes several names throughout the Old Testament. For example, Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Esau becomes Edom. Jacob becomes Israel, and so on. What God calls a thing is far more important than what we call it. 
And so when he saw, uh, when, when, when he was creating the world, God gave names to things, and he even asked Adam to name the animals. The people of this world depend on their own wisdom and efforts, and yet we so often fail to achieve lasting fame. I mean, think about it. Who knows the name of anybody who worked on the famous Tower of Babel? We don't have any external record of anybody and, and their names who worked on that tower. And yet the name of Abraham is known around the world and revered by Jews and Muslims and Christians. There's a vast difference between mankind's we will make our name great and God's I will make your name great. So we see the confusion there, the verbal confusion. We also see the visible dispersion in verse 8 and verse 9. <clears throat> That's the second thing that happens out of this. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So think about it. They hadn't done what God had told them to do to begin with. If you go back to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, look at Genesis 9 and verse 1. I don't have this on the screen for you, so if you're at home you'll need to see this in your Bible. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Not Shinar, not the land of Canaan that it would be or whatever that land might have been called at that time, but fill the whole earth. God had commanded Noah and his sons to fill the whole earth. God never intended for the people of this earth to huddle up in one location, which is exactly what they did when they decided we're going to build this city and we're going to build this tower. Let's all come together under this banner of unity. God never intended that. He intended for all the inhabitable spots of the earth to be inhabited. By the very fact that they tried to congregate in one place, they were rebelling against what God had told uh, Noah and his sons back here uh, to, to multiply and fill the earth. They were going against that. They were saying, I'm not going out there. We're going to huddle right here and build this city and build this tower. And, and that was a rebellion against God. So God did for them what they would not do for themselves. He scatters them over the face of the earth. Verse 8 very poignantly reminds us they left off building the city. In other words, they just stopped. That was it. It was done. And it, was, it remained there. This unfinished town was a reminder to everyone that you cannot exclude God the Creator from the creation. You cannot exclude God from government, and you can't remove the Lord from life. Just like Babylon wound up on the dump heap of history, it's also going to wind up in the junkyard of prophecy, if you will. In Scripture, Babylon symbolizes worldly pride. It symbolizes 
moral corruption. It symbolizes defiance against God. The biblical contrast is between the earthly city Babylon that rebels against God and the heavenly city Jerusalem, which is to bring glory to God. Revelation 18 verse 2 tells us this, And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. What a picture that is of us. When in our hearts we say to God, nah, I'll do this myself. I'll do it the way I want to do it. I'll live life the way I want to live. I'll do what I want to do rather than what you want to do. And we rebel against God. That is the spirit of Babylon. I've got some wonderful news for you today. Satan is selling a sinking ship. He's ruling a crumbling kingdom. And we need to learn what Benjamin Franklin told Thomas Paine, who was an agnostic. Thomas Paine wrote a book called The Age of Reason, and in it he ridiculed the revelation of God's Word and the very need for God himself. And then he asked Benjamin Franklin what he thought of it. And Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't very much of a godly man himself, had enough sense to tell Thomas Paine this, Tom, when a man spits against the wind, he spits in his face. You get the picture of that? The wind's blowing at you and you spit into the wind and the spit comes back into your face. Psychotherapist Naomi H. Rosenblatt writes this, every generation builds its own towers. And she's right. Whether they're actual skyscrapers like the Sears Tower, the Tribune Tower in Chicago, the Eiffel Tower in Paris, the Trump Tower in New York City, Mega corporations that circle the globe. The idea is the same. We will make a name for ourselves. Understand this, that God's people cannot escape being in the world because we live in this world, but we have to avoid being of this world. We're not here to build the arrogant towers of people, of men. We're here to help build the church of Jesus Christ. And so what humanity can't achieve by means of its proud towers, Jesus has already achieved by dying on a humiliating cross. You can build your own personal tower of Babel if you choose. You can climb the ladder of philosophy. You can climb the ladder of power. You can climb the ladder of pride. You can climb the ladder of position. You can climb that ladder of prestige and, and the ladder of popularity. You can do it all without God. But just remember this. The higher you climb, the greater the fall. Put your trust in the Lord, not in man, not in yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, thank you, thank you, thank you for a powerful illustration and message from the Tower of Babel, the foundations of Babylon, the failure of Babylon, and what it means for our lives. But Lord, we may not be building a city ourselves. We may not be building a physical tower, but that's not the point. 
The point is us rebelling against you in our hearts and in our lives. The same as, as the people did there in building the city of Babel and the Tower of Babel. We at some point come to a place in our lives where we decide we're not going to do what you've told us to do. We're, we've seen your word that's told us we're, we're to go in to share the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we say, oh, I'm not doing that. Somebody else can do that. I'm not going to tell my neighbor about Jesus. Whatever it might be. There's so many things, Lord, and so many ways in which pride wells up in our hearts. And we decide that this life is mine. And it's about me. And it's about what I want to do. Rather than knowing that the purpose of our lives is to bring glory and honor to your name, to do what you have called us to do, no matter what. So, Father, help us to be in this world, but not of this world. Help us to be an example in the tide that is going the opposite direction of your word that wants to do away with God, the humanistic view and worldview and theology that, that wants to say we don't even need God at all. Father, I pray that we would acknowledge our need for you. And that we would live in that presence of needing you every day. For Lord, if we don't, we will stumble, we will fall. Father, I pray that we would not build our towers of pride and power and prestige. But Lord, that we would seek to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves before the foot of the cross and say, Here I am, Lord, to serve you in whatever way that you would have me to serve. And Father, I pray that you will continue to let this message speak to our hearts and let us learn from the example of the fall of Babel and the ultimate fall of Babylon to give us the warning of not even going near that in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, if there's someone who's here tonight or watching online who's never trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, I pray that this will be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray for many of us as believers. Lord, that we would repent of any sin in our hearts of pride or arrogance, any sin, Lord, of, 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 of seeking power, that it becomes about ourselves rather than about you. And Father, I, seek, I pray that we would seek to do everything we can to make the name of Jesus known. Not the name of Jim, not the name of Ruth, not the name of David, not the name of Tom, the name of Jesus, not our name, but your name. The name, the only name whereby we might be saved, the name of Jesus. So bless us, Lord, in this invitation and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing our hymn of invitation number 302, I hear thy welcome voice, Brother Mike.
again. Thank much for being here with us tonight, especially there uh, online. Just remember, uh, this is Thanksgiving week, so we don't have our normal regular services on Wednesday night. Uh, so be reminded of that if you're watching at home, that you won't get that call. Uh, we won't go live on our platforms there on Wednesday night. We do want to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a blessed Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, enjoy that time together, and we'll be back again to join and worship with you next Sunday morning, 915 for Sunday school, 1030 for worship. So you come and join us the end if you can. You have a blessed week. Stay safe and may God bless you this week.